Hi, my name is David, and I'm one of the pastors here to be uh, with you this morning. It's uh, my joy and privilege. Um, have, have you enjoyed just going through the Old Testament, going through the, all, of God's, uh, all of God's story about how he is redeeming mankind? I hate to hear people sometimes say, all oh, the Old Testament's irrelevant, it doesn't matter to me anymore. Uh, I hope that you have seen that it is just as relevant, and we see that our lives are so much like uh, folks and individuals in the Old Testament. So it's been good. Um, so about a year ago, my wife and I bought our very first house. Uh, and it was such a joyous occasion. Uh, but in this year or so, we've learned so many life lessons, so many life lessons. And probably the hardest lesson that we learned was to always have a spare house key at all times. No matter where you are, no matter what time of day it is, always have a spare house key. Have you ever learned that lesson the hard way? I was on the road uh, one evening, and I was about two and a half hours away. I was staying overnight, and I got a phone call at about 9 o'clock at night. You can imagine it's dark outside, and my wife is all distraught, and she says, uh, I have locked myself out of the house. I was taking the trash out, and I'm locked out. I said, baby, I'm two and a half hours away. There's not much I can do. I'm sorry. And so she tried to get back in, and no surprise there, she was not able to. I don't know if you know my wife very well, but she's not a master burglar or anything like that. And so she, uh, she tried to talk to the neighbors. They couldn't get in. I actually had uh, my good friend Neil go and check on her, and because uh, he lives right down the road for us, so thank you, Neil. But Neil wasn't able to get in. Uh, so we had to call a locksmith at 9 o'clock at night. And so I'm really excited now because who knows who this guy is. Uh, my wife's outside trapped, and so he has to uh, put his dinner away, and he's called out in the middle of the night to come and let her in. And that was a lump sum of about $100, which I was very thrilled to pay. And so the point of the story, and what, the reason that I tell you that is that my wife was in the house, she left the house, and then had no ability on her own to get back in. Someone had to let her in. And so in the basis of our story, it can be really confusing and there's a lot going on, but at the root of what's going on here, someone, Naomi, was in Israel, was a part of Israel, left Israel, and had, she lost everything, lost her husband, lost all of her sons, comes back with Ruth, and she has no land, she can't pay the debt on her land, and Ruth has no sons. So someone has to let her in, basically. Someone has to let her back in to Israel to be basically where she was before she left. Now, I need to say, if I seem really jittery this morning, it's because I've had about three cups of coffee. And that's normally what I do every morning, but today I just happen to be preaching. So if you want to know what it is, it's Folgers, uh, black and strong. So I'm really hyped up about this message. Anyway, I don't know that I necessarily needed the coffee to get hyped up. So Ruth and Naomi, what they need, they need a kinsman redeemer. And maybe you heard that in the video, maybe you saw it this week in the book of Ruth, but what they need is a kinsman redeemer. Kinsman we get, that's really easy. Someone who is of relation. Maybe you see people all the time and you're like, hey, hey he's my kin, he's my, I know him. Redeemer, however, was something that was established before in the Old Testament in the book of Deuteronomy and in Leviticus. And it was a system that God had established saying that if someone loses property, if they become poor and they can't make payments on the debt that they owe to this land, 
then a family member has the right to step in. Whoever is the closest family member has the right to step in, pay that debt on the land, and then eventually return it to the poor family member down the road. It's as simple as that. Like if my brother, uh, if he has land and he can't pay, he can't make the payments on the land, he becomes poor, I buy the land for him and then eventually give it to him down the road. That's the same exact thing that's happening here. Likewise, if a husband and wife are, are living life without children and the husband passes away, God establishes in the book of Deuteronomy that if a husband passes away, then the closest kinsman has the right to marry the widow and give her children so that the lineage of the deceased brother may be continued. Got it? It's as simple as that. They need this kinsman redeemer. They need this person in their life. And so what we see is that Naomi needs land. In this culture, land and children are everything. Naomi had land. She's lost it. She needs her land restored. She needs to be redeemed in that way. She needs a kinsman redeemer so that she can have land. Ruth doesn't have any children. There's no one for her deceased husband to pass on that lineage too, so she needs children. And so that's why we need a kinsman redeemer. Let's stop and pray right here. Father, we pray that this morning that we would see your goodness and your sovereignty and your power in the everyday situations of our life. God, that ultimately Jesus Christ would be seen as so good, as so loving, as exalted this morning. Father, we leave this in your hands. Amen. And so here are the rules for being a kinsman redeemer. Here are the the rules. Not just anybody could waltz in and pay debt or anything like that. There are rules to this. So first of all, one must have the right to redeem. One must have the right to redeem, meaning that one has to be the closest, uh, closest relative. If you're not the closest relative, then you don't necessarily have the right immediately to go and pay the debt on your family member's land, or you don't necessarily have the right to marry the widow. It's the closest relative. So whoever is the closest relative has the right, and they have the first privilege. Secondly, one must have the resources to redeem. You can't pay somebody else's debt if you don't have money. So you must have the resources. You've got to have money so that you can pay the debt of this family member. Thirdly, one must have the resolve to redeem, meaning you must have to be a willing party. It's not forced on you. You don't have to do it. You have to be willing to be the kinsman redeemer of this family member who might have fallen on hard times. And so in the book of Ruth, Ruth and Naomi, they start immediately thinking about Boaz, and they say, Boaz is our kinsman redeemer. He is a kinsman. We are related to him, and he has resources. And so they go to Boaz, they, they make this plan to go to Boaz and say, Boaz, will you redeem us? Will you, will you marry me, Ruth, and give me children so that my deceased husband's lineage will continue? And likewise, will you give us the money so that we can both have land to live on. And Boaz says, of course I will do it, but there's someone else closer in relation than I am. Meaning, I don't necessarily have the right. There's someone else closer to you 
than I am. Let me go check with him, and then we'll get back in touch, is basically what he's saying. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn to the book of Ruth chapter 4. Ruth chapter 4. And if you don't have a Bible, we would love to give one to you. It's right back there on our connect table. We want you to have God's Word, whether you come back to us or not. That's more important. We want you to have the Bible. Ruth chapter 4. We'll start in verse 1. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. This is his meeting with the closer relative. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city. And he said, you all sit down here too. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. Meaning that if you want to buy the land, purchase the debt, then do so. If you want to marry Ruth, then do so. But if you will not tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem. Then Boaz said, Oh, and by the way, the day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also require Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for it myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right, of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem. So here we have this closest relative. He has the right because he's close. He has the resources, obviously, or they wouldn't have asked him. He says, I will redeem it. But then he doesn't have the resolve, meaning he's not willing to marry Ruth. And we don't necessarily know the reason why. Maybe he was own up in age, or maybe because he didn't want to uh, split up his inheritance among more sons, among more daughters. But for whatever reason, he says, no, I, I can't redeem it. And whoever the narrator of, this, of the book of Ruth is doesn't even think so much of him that they don't even mention his name. His name is irrelevant. It doesn't matter who he is. It doesn't matter. Because he was unwilling. It doesn't fit into the redemption plan now for Ruth. Let's pick up in verse 7. Now, this was the custom in the former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. You see me redeeming her. She will be my wife now. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, you are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman 
who is coming into your house like Rachel and like Leah, who together build up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathath and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, who Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give by this woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be a restorer to you of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, get this, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. So in the beginning of Ruth, Naomi comes back from Moab with no husband, and she's lost both of her sons. And she says, don't even call me Naomi. Call me Mara, because I am bitter, and God has dealt very bitterly with me. And from the end right here, she's rejoicing in the Lord at what he's given her. And the thing that we see here is that God changes our bitterness to joy. God changes our bitterness to joy. She wept over the fact that she was at the bottom of society. She wept over her, she was grieving over the fact that she had no husband and no kids. But now she's at this, it's like a baby shower and all the women are around her and saying, he's, he's more to you than ten sons and seven sons. And so she says she's just rejoicing in what the Lord has done. Has there ever been a time in your life whenever you were in just a situation that was just, maybe it devastated you, maybe it hurt you, and you were very bitter. But then over time, you come to see that what God actually did for you was for your good, and it produced joy in your life. Has that ever happened to you? A few years ago, I had the opportunity to... um, put in for this job that I really, really wanted. I wanted this job. I knew better than God that this was good for me. I need this job, Lord. Bless it. I need it. And I didn't get it. And in the time, I was very bitter because God did not give me what I felt like I needed, what I felt like I rightly deserved. First of all, I was wrong in that. But then over time, I come to find out that job would have probably been the worst thing that ever happened to me. And I would not be here today if it, weren't for, if it were for that. God takes circumstances in our life that may seem bitter for a minute, but then over time he shows us that it was exactly what we needed. It was for our good. It was for our best and for his glory. Secondly, we see that God changes our emptiness to fullness. God changes our emptiness to fullness. Without husband, without sons, without land, the bottom of society, and she finishes here with a daughter-in-law, with a, with a son-in-law, with a grandson, and with lots of land, with lots of resources. She has gone from emptiness to fullness. In the end, her heart is full. When is the last time that you stopped and thought about what all God is doing in your life? When is the last time that you personally stopped and thought about all the good things that God has blessed you with? We do a great job 
of pointing out what God does not give us, or do we ever stop and think about what God has given us? Are you thankful for all the things? She went from emptiness to fullness, and I'm sure there is nobody in this village that went without knowing. What we're joyful about is what we talk about. What we're thankful about is what we talk about. And lastly, God changes our despair to hope. Thirdly, God changes our despair to hope. The things that we might despair over right now, God gives us a future hope in. Now, this one might take a little bit more work. This one might take a little bit for us to track through, but I want you to just think about this for just a second. Last week, we learned about the book of Judges. The book of Judges and the people of Israel are given these judges so that they can rule over them and say, this is what God says. And Israel is just in this cycle of sin. Remember, they're in this constant cycle of sin where they sin and then they, re- they return and they repent, but then they sin again. And it's just this cycle over and over and over of, of grace and then more sin and then grace and then more sin. And the book of Judges begins with these exact words. It begins in these words. In those days in Israel, there was no king, and Israel did what was right in their own eyes, meaning basically that everyone did whatever they wanted to do. Israel did, everyone did what was right in their own eyes, and there was no king in Israel. And what's most sad about the book of Judges is because of the cycle that they're in, the book of Judges begins with, in those days Israel did what was right in their own eyes, and the book of Judges ends with those same exact words. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. There was no king in Israel in those days. It's one of the most despairing books in all of the Bible. Cycle of sin, more and more sin, no king. If you were to put yourself into the shoes of the Israelites of this time, you can imagine their prayers to God. God, we pray for a king. We long for a king. We need a king. God, please give us a king. Can you put yourself in their shoes? And Please bring order to our nation. You said you had a promise for us that you were going to make us into this great nation to be the example for all the rest of the world. God, everybody's sinning. There is no king. We desire a king. And so that's how the book of Judges ends. In this time of great despair, in this time of hopelessness, likewise, Naomi here has despair in her heart. What's going to happen? She's, she even gleans from the, a field that's not even her own, which God established for the poor to do. She didn't even have a place to gather food. She has despair in her life. And so what we need to do right here is, is we, have this, we have this camera lens zoomed in on Naomi and zoomed in on Ruth. All right, what we're going to do is we're going to unzoom that, we're going to zoom out, and we're going to gather the bigger larger picture of what's going on here, okay? So just imagine with me, we, we have our narrative right here, and we're zoomed in on the book of Ruth, and we're zoomed in on the life of Ruth and the life of Naomi, we're going to zoom out. We're going to see the larger picture here, okay? Let's continue to read. Ruth 4, verse 17. And the women of the neighborhood 
gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. Don't miss this. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse. Don't miss this. And he was the father of David. Of David. David? David, the greatest king in Israel's history, the king who led Israel to its greatest days and prominence, David was the great-great-grandson of a Moabite. David came from this broken, messed-up situation. The greatest king in Israel's history came from, was the grandson of a Moabite? Yes, David, who led Israel into its greatest days, and God changes our despair to hope. The cycle of sin that they were in, Israel is without king, we need a king, we need a king, and insert the book of Ruth, we have a king. God has provided a king for us. He's given us what we need. And so many times we look at the book of Ruth as if it's just some random thing for us to look at. But it falls right into God's redemptive plan for Israel. Right into God's redemptive plan where he's going to change things forever for this group of people. So that's it. Let's, let's zoom out a little bit more. Let's zoom out even further. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 1. Let's, let's zoom out big time right here. We're going to see the bigger, even larger picture of what's going on in the book of Ruth. Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. If you ever wonder why genealogies were in the Bible, sometimes whenever I was a kid, I would read this and I was, what are, the, what are these here for? And you might do the same, but there's a purpose behind that. And let's find out what that is. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. The book of the genealogy of who? Genealogy of Jesus. So th- we're about to talk about where Jesus came from, the lineage of Jesus, who his great-grandparents were, and so on. Jesus Christ the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of of Boaz by Rahab and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth and Obed the father of Jesse and Jesse the father of David the king. God changes our despair to hope. You see, even King David, the king that they wanted, the king that they sought after, was not their ultimate plan of redemption. 
Israel's ultimate plan of redemption was not King David, but it was king of the universe, was King Jesus. The story of Ruth is not just about Ruth. It's not just about David. The story of Ruth is about Jesus. God's ultimate plan of redemption was not just King David. It was King Jesus. King Jesus. Ruth is the great, 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 and so on, grandmother of Jesus Christ who died on the cross for you and for me. And here's the, here's the beautiful picture. Here, let me just show this for you. I saw this the other day, and it, man, I became a little unglued here. Let's remember just what the deal is. All right? A kinsman redeemer. What are the rules for a kinsman redeemer? One must have the right to redeem. One must have the resources to redeem. And one must have the, re, the resolve or the willingness to redeem. Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. One must have the right to redeem. Jesus came in the flesh as the Son of God. He was God's perfect man and man's perfect God. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3 says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed to be the heir of all things through whom, talking about Jesus, he also created the world. He created the world through Jesus. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe with the word of his power. And after making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus has the right to redeem you. Because he is God in the flesh. Jesus has the right to redeem you personally. All of us collectively, but you individually. Jesus has the right to redeem you because he is God. Secondly, one must have the resources or the finances to redeem. Does Jesus not have the resources to redeem 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus certainly has the, right, the resources to redeem you. He is perfect. He has what it takes to redeem you personally. He has everything that he needs. To redeem you. Thirdly, one must have the resolve or the willingness to redeem. John 10, 17 and 18 says, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. Jesus laid down his life for you. More than that, left the glory of heaven to come and put on flesh for you, Jesus has the willingness to redeem you personally. Jesus has the willingness to redeem you. Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. He has the right, the resources, and the resolve to redeem you. And in our bitterness, 
He can turn our bitterness into joy. He can turn your bitterness into joy. In your emptiness, he can turn that into fullness of life. Where you look around and say, life is messed up. There's nothing good happening for me. He can take that and turn it into something full and meaningful. And lastly, he can take your despair and turn it into hope. We have a future hope in Christ that no one else in the world has. They don't have hope. They're looking at what happens in November as their hope. Give us a president. We need a There's no hope in that. Give me more money. I need more. We have a future hope in Christ that is unlike anything else. He is our kinsman, redeemer. So Jesus has, he has the right, he has the resources, and he also has the resolve. And so here's what I know this morning. Here is what I know. I know that there are two types of people groups in this room. There are two types of people in this room today. And there are those of you who do not have a kinsman redeemer. You're standing on the outside kind of looking at this whole church thing, kind of looking at this whole Christianity thing, and you need to be let inside into the family of God. You need a kinsman redeemer, and the only kinsman redeemer there for you is Jesus. Right? Resources? Willingness. Jesus is the only one who can redeem you and bring you in to the family of God. He's the only one. And you might be asking, you might be looking at the story of Naomi, and you might be looking at the story of Ruth, and you said, no, they needed a kinsman redeemer because they had this debt that they, didn't, that they couldn't pay. And that's why Jesus is our kinsman redeemer, because you do have a debt that you can't pay. Someone has to pay that for you. And your debt is the debt of sin. It's our, our sin, our treason against a righteous and holy God. Whenever he says, do it this way, and we say, no, I don't want to do it your way. I don't care about your way. And we commit treason. We're like rebels against a righteous and holy God. And so we're on the outside. Jesus is the only one who can let us in. And so we need him. He is your kinsman redeemer. And if you're in this room today and you are on the outside and you need your kinsman redeemer in Jesus, do not delay. Let your bitterness be turned into joy. Let your emptiness be turned into fullness. Let your despair be turned into hope. Christ is your kinsman redeemer, the only one who can let you in on the family of God. And now, the second audience in this room, the second people group in this room, are those of us who have already been let in on the family of God. We have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Christ is our kinsman redeemer. Now, here's the thing. If Christ is your redeemer, he wants to redeem all of you. Every bit of your soul, he wants to redeem all of it. Maybe you're in this room this morning and you have this lingering sin that you just don't want to get rid of. Christ wants to redeem all of you and make you more into the image and likeness of Christ. He wants to sanctify you and set you apart from the rest of the world. 
He wants to change you and make you more like him. There are those of you in this morning that your marriage is just terrible. Your marriage is awful. He wants to redeem your marriage so that your marriage will mirror and be a picture of the gospel, Jesus' marriage to the church. There are some of you in this room this morning that need your parenting redeemed. And you're raising your children up like the world. Jesus wants to redeem your parenting and make it right. Make it good. Make it better. Transform it. Change it. Jesus wants to transform and redeem the way that you spend your money. Jesus wants to change and transform the way that you look at society and your brothers and your sisters and humanity and how you treat people. Jesus wants to redeem that, to change that, to transform you into more of the image and likeness of Christ. He wants to redeem not you just at salvation, but he is continually transforming you and making you look more like his son, Jesus. How's it going? How's it going? Do you look more like Jesus today than you did whenever you came to him in the moment of salvation? I think if we're honest, we need Jesus so bad, not just for our salvation, but for our sanctification. How are you, how are you, do you care? Secondly, and this is, this is beautiful, this is so good, and I don't want us to miss this, okay? This is for the people in the room that have been redeemed. Think about this with me for just a second. God's redemptive plan for mankind involved a Moabite woman, meaning that God wants to redeem all peoples of the world. Who is the Moabite in your life that needs to be redeemed? Who is the Ruth far from God in a distant land that needs to be redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ? Who is the person, who is the neighbor in your life that is without Christ and will die separated from him for the rest of eternity without the voice of you, without a Naomi to bring them into the family, without a Boaz to redeem them? Who is the Moabite in your life? Who needs redemption? I think we have to very seriously answer this question because if we're not seeking to be a part of God's redemptive plan for the rest of our world, for the rest of mankind, do you really have hope? Do you really have hope in Jesus if you're not willing to share it with the Moabites in your life? How are you being used for the kingdom of God and reaching the rest of the world? We say here at Church Came May, it's personally, it's locally, it's globally. You don't have to get on a plane and go to Africa tomorrow. Just go to work. And then there are also times that we do get on planes and go to Africa. Who is the Moabite in your life? This morning, the band's going to come and play. And I really want us to consider these three things. Stay with me for just a second. Stay with me for just a second. These three things. Do you have a kinsman redeemer in Christ? Is he your Boaz who's brought you into the family of God? And if he has... Do you look 
more like Jesus today? Is he still redeeming you, sanctifying you, purifying you of the worldliness and the sin that is within you? Is it a war? If so, would you pray this morning? Would you ask God to give you strength in the moments that you need strength? Would you ask God? I pray this prayer every day. God, make me look more like Jesus, your son, today than I did yesterday. I pray that every morning. Would you ask him to do that? And thirdly, I want you to ask yourself, I would be very serious about this one. Who needs Jesus? Who is the Moabite far from God that needs to be brought in to the family? Don't leave this place today unchallenged. Don't leave this place today the same. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the story of Ruth. What a clear picture of the gospel. What a clear picture of the redemption that we need through Jesus. In our emptiness, our bitterness, and our despair, you have given us fullness and hope and joy. God, I pray, Lord, if there be anybody in here today who does not know Jesus, that today would be the day of salvation. God, I pray it again. Lord, make me today more like Jesus than I was yesterday. And remind all of us of the people in our lives that need you, need a kinsman redeemer. And we pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, we're going to have a team of people in the back, uh, a response team, so to speak. And if you need somebody to pray with you, go and pray. Don't delay. Don't. This is a place of worship. This is a safe place. This is a safe environment for you to be broken and accountable for in front of your brothers and sisters in Christ. If you need someone to pray with or someone to talk to about Jesus, there are people in the back ready and available that aren't pastors, that are just a part of this church that want to help you and want to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus. To be redeemed, it takes surrender. In the book of Ruth, it says that um, when Ruth went to Boaz, you know, to, to ask him to redeem her family, she actually laid down at his feet. It takes us surrendering. It takes us first acknowledging that we 